Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the PaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. your vision are you blind well so apparently if i'm going to be blinded i will like wake up blind in the morning (laughs) so time will tell uh i was as we were driving home and it took us like twice as long to drive home compared to driving up um i i was like that was really amazing but boy i hope none of us are blind in the morning (laughs) oh my god you made me like so paranoid i just got like this disgusting pit in the like bottom of my stomach imagining my family waking up blind well we so we had the right glasses because my husband's an astrophysicist and therefore he was able to get the glasses like from his place of employment and we were you know we you know went we had safety regulations like you know you know, I had to look at it for more than a couple minutes, even with the glasses on. You have to, you know, we were very, very um, careful during totality when we took our glasses off. You know, the second you see even this hint of light coming from the side, those glasses go back on and I, we, we caught it. I mean, everyone in the field was like that. So it was, uh, you know, everyone was being very careful. And um, it was, but it was just one of those amazing experiences um we ended up we were we drove up to athens tennessee and our plan was to go to just a rest stop that was you know in the totality area uh, just south of athens and when we got up there the um rest stop was closed and they had you know the big giant pylons that you really can't drive around (laughs) at the entrance and so we decided our backup plan was the athens regional park which was the next exit and um so as we were driving up we realized that that park was having this huge event that it was not going to have any parking that people were selling parking in their houses a mile and a half away and we were like well let's just drive up to it and see what happens and as we pulled um into you know like off the exit off the highway into athens like right there, there was this like Motel 6 and a Burger King with this field behind it. And there was a bunch of people setting up telescopes. And we're like, well, let's just go in there and see if we can get parking in there. And sure, we could get parking in the shade. Like people were just parking in the grass. We found a place to park in the shade. And we went out and <laughs> this um, couple of women drive up to us in a golf cart. And we think like surely they're going to tell us this is, you know, some local group and, you know, where are our tickets or whatever. And they just – Instead, tease the kids about how they should be in school and what are they doing out there. And the kids are like, What's, but we're loud. And they were like, haha, it's really funny. And so we had, you know, set up our picnic and we had chairs and we brought everything out. And then because it was the place where all of the astronomy nerds went with their telescopes, we got to like look at everybody, you know, all these different people's different telescopes. Um, you know, this one couple that had dr- driven up from uh, Destin, Florida had this huge telescope with filters and it was just crystal, crystal clear optics. So we got to see that and then we had our glasses and then I had my camera to take pictures during totality. And it was just like, it was just the most amazing experience. And right where we were, we got nearly the full three minutes. So it was like two minutes and 45 seconds of totality. And it was like hands down the most surreal and amazing experience of my life like we were just i like the the second we were just like watching the moon cover the sun and watching the sliver of sun disappear with the glasses on and then as soon as it's gone we take the glasses off and it just the entire field of people just like all like murmur amazement um and i just I, I couldn't believe it. It was just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And now I'm like researching like when's the next eclipse and where do I have to travel in the world to go see it? Because 
that was just – I've never seen a total eclipse before. I saw a partial one. I was in elementary school. This was not the same thing. Um, and I just feel so um, so lucky that where we live was – like it was only – it was a two-and-a-half drive – two-and-a-half-hour drive up and then nearly like a four-and-a-half-hour drive home. But it was you know an easy drive away to, to go have this experience. And we just lucked out in like the perfect crowd and the perfect area and um, – other than I got a little bit of a sunburn, it was it was just it was just amazing. So I'm I'm I was telling my husband like I'm so glad I took the day off for this. This is just one of those like life events that just you know a defining moment in your life. Like this goes in the category of got married, <laughs> birthed a baby, right? Had a book release, uh, graduated you know from college. Like this goes in that list of like amazing special days. So it well, was, it was I, awesome. I- can imagine it was made more special by experiencing it with kids that will remember it. You know, like that's what was special for me is, is it was like, I also remember seeing one when I was a kid and it not being, um, mind blowing. (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) but I was like really excited to share this with the kids. Um, we didn't have totality. We had 84%. Um, but it was nice. Like I, I left work for two hours so we could go, um, to one of the boys schools was having like a big party. And so they had all these like learning events and different kind of like, uh, field activities and different things to do while, you know, it was happening. And so it was, um, it was cool. And, you know, it was really special for me was seeing a majority of the internet kind of all come together and share um, a special moment, whether that moment not occur at the exact same time for everybody, but to kind of like see it sweep across the nation and see so many people be excited by it. And um, in a in, in a period of time where it feels like we're all disconnected to see people come together um, and be excited and, and share a moment like that was special. I, one of the things that was amazing to me was how fast it moved across the country. So my mom was also in, uh, you know, something like 90% totality area. And she was texting me about how the light was getting all dim and eerie where she was as we could start to see the moon starting to, to come like from the complete opposite side of the continent, which she's on the, in the Pacific Northwest on the West coast of Canada. And so we're, we were in Eastern Tennessee. So to, to, you know, we were starting to see it at the same time as she was sort of in that like prime, like the light. So, so eerie. And even that, that sort of connection, it was close enough in time for us across the whole country that, this shared experience and the shared awe. Um, and, you know, it was one of the things my husband was saying that I just thought was like, I hadn't thought of that was like, isn't it amazing how well we know the orbits in our solar system and the orbit of the moon that we can predict to within a few seconds where this amazing event is going to be across the globe like that's like such a neat example of um just you know human knowledge and and scientific knowledge and and how like how amazing is it because 2000 years ago <laughs> that would have been a really freaky thing because you would have been like hey what's up with the light and then all of a sudden the sun would have been black and you would have been like uh probably probably running around kind of upset i would think well and even 20 years ago where you know it it was published in the you know paper and might have been mentioned in a classroom there wasn't like the internet for everybody to share that at the same time Mm -hmm. so it's i think the first time that i can remember um other than new year's where people are all experiencing something kind of magical momentous um in in sequence like that but yet together so anyway it was special i got a i got a really a couple of really good photographs on my on my camera 
And even there, I was like airdropping my photographs onto other people's phones because they were like, wow, that's what I mean. Because it was like this keepsake of like this photograph from the person who was like standing beside me in the field. Um, and then, and then I just started texting it to every single person I knew. I was like, look at this photograph I took. I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was amazing. I, I'm probably going to be bubbly like this for a while. We, I, we literally just got home. <laughs> so I'm still in that, like, I'm, I'm going to have to take some melatonin to sleep tonight. That's all I'm saying. Well, what are we, what are we talking about? So we can kind of move on and wind <laughs> down. Right. Um, not that podcasting is typically the best winding down for me, but <laughs> no. we'll, we'll take it. You know what? We, have, we haven't we have done an Ask Me Anything style um, podcast in quite a while. And um, one of my assistants, um, you know, suggested it and then said, you know, do you mind if I just throw out a little social media thing and ask people, you know, questions for an AMA podcast? And I, I was fine. Sure. Sure. Like I'm, I'm uh, eyeball deep in, in, uh, uh, edits on the book. So sure. Um, and so she sent that out and we got some really neat questions that I think are like really different questions from, um, AMAs we've done before. So we're, we're, we've got a pile of them and I think we should just get through as many as we can in this podcast. And if we have rollover, we can do another one next week, but I think we've got some really neat questions that are kind of all over the place. All right, let's do it. I'm excited. Uh, so this is in no particular order. I think it's kind of a mix from of questions from different social media platforms. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go for it. Uh, this one's from Trisha. What brand of oral hygiene do you ladies use? Oh my gosh! So because I am actually caught off guard, um, I don't have the brand, but it's Redmond salt and clay based. So you go first and then I'll look it up. (laughs) Um, so I, um, for the last few months have been using, um, Primal Life Organics, uh, dirty mouth, uh, tooth powder and the dirty mouth boost. Um, and I had tried it a few years ago and I don't think I had given it enough time. Um, cause I was sort of like, you know, it, it cleans my teeth, but I've got fairly weakened animal from uh, a few decades of drinking a whole lot of acidic hot beverages um, and not having good diet up and you know up until six years ago. So, um, so my teeth are not uh, they're not as awesome as they could be if I'd actually had a, a better diet for most of my life. Um, so then a few months ago, I had been talking with. Uh, Trina from Primal Life Organics and had specifically been talking about these products and the the science behind them. And that really motivated me to try them again. And so this time I've sort of gone through, because one of the things that happens when you switch to um, sort of these clay-based, we'll call them toothpaste, even though they're not really toothpaste, um, is because they don't have the glycerin. So they don't coat your teeth. So one of the things that can happen is your teeth will become more sensitive initially, but that's because the, you're not getting this like weird coating on your teeth. And the coating is actually stopping the minerals from toothpaste from actually remineralizing your teeth. So once you get rid of that coating, the minerals in the clay that's in like the dirty mouth tooth powder can actually start to work to remineralize your teeth. And so then that, so that increase in sensitivity is transient and then it starts to go away. So I've been using them this time for, I would say, uh, four months or so. And that increase in sensitivity was probably two to three weeks, um, sort of like in the, within the first month. And then that went away. And now actually what's really great is I had some sensitive spots. That was one of the reasons why I was looking for a better solution. And those have gone away too. So um, so I've been really impressed and um, that's, yeah, so that's what I've been using and they have, um, Primal Life Organics has a version for kids now that's sweeter, um, and have like some really fun flavors. Cause my kids never liked the, the mint or the orange or the cinnamon before. Like they were just too harsh, to, like really intense flavors. So now these like kids sweeter flavors, um, there's, it's got some monk fruit in it, which is why it's, it's sweet. Um, the, the my kids are, are using it now too. Okay, so um, mine is um, Redmond clay-based, and um, 
there it comes in different it, it's called earth paste um and it comes in different flavors i used to use the primal tooth powder um but i didn't like the powder and so i was using it less and less frequently and grabbing matt's toothpaste mm-hmm. um but i got uh the redmond earth paste as a gift from somebody and loved it because it's uh, a true paste, like tr- more traditional toothpaste. It's, and it's still a clay base. Yes. It's um, exactly. So it's water, uh, clay, um, some essential oils, uh, real, Redmond Real Salt. <clears throat> so I really like those. They come in um, multiple flavors. We'll put a link here and show notes. You can even get them at Walmart. I get them on Amazon uh, just because it's the best price. And they do have uh, like peppermint wintergreen, which is what um, Matt and I like. They also have cinnamon. And I think the one that the boys use is lemon. So it's, um, you know, more fun kid type flavor. Um, All right. Our next question is from Nick. If you could go back in time and give your 24-year-old self some advice, oh what would gosh. it be? Very specific, 24. So at 24, I had Cole, and he was in, like not quite a toddler. So it would um, – hmm. I think it would be definitely to – prioritize nutrients for me and not just him. Cause at that point in my life, I was not ready to hear or admit anything about, um, paleo in general, but I was really focused on, um, him having optimal nutrition. So I had removed milk from a diet cause it was upsetting his stomach. And, um, I was doing what I thought was best, which is giving him soy milk and lentils and edamame. Uh, but I also was giving him liver, um, different things that I looked into and uh, was not at all prioritizing nutrients for myself. There was, mm. there was a lot of um, let me do all of these things for my baby, uh, but not necessarily considerations of, you know, what nutrients I was doing. And I think that period of time where, um, you know, I was uh, a new mom, like I could have been open to hearing some of that information and learning it. Um, But yeah, no, I didn't do any of that (laughs) until I had Wesley. And we've talked about this too. Like you've said, you wish you could go back and have a paleo pregnancy. Um, Yeah. I just think it would make such a big difference in not just their health, which is what I was focused on, being a crunchy mom and cloth diapering and all this kind of stuff. But um, I was so motivated for them to be optimally taken care of that um, it wasn't, you know, until six years later or whatever, when I had Wesley that I started considering my own health when I realized that I didn't have the energy to keep up with them. And, um, I wanted to play and, you know, be active and to, to do things. And I was limited by, you know, my health and my body size. Yeah. So for me at 24, that was like a decade before, um, I found paleo, Um, so 24 was a strange time for me. I was in grad school and I had actually just lost a hundred pounds. This is the first time I lost a hundred pounds, um, using a low carb diet. And I had decided that with my newfound, uh, leaner figure that I would run some marathons. And so I, I, um, I was taking karate classes and working out at my local YMCA. And then I was part of this like running group that was, um, hosted by like the local running store. And we would do these group runs, um, like four or five times a week. And, um, and I ran, I did, I actually ran a couple of marathons and, um, thought that at the time I thought that that was, you know, this proof that I was healthy. And I, I, if I could go back and say anything, it would just be like, open your eyes, girl. Um, you know, look at all of these things that you dismiss. Um, you know, I had, it was the same, you know, time that I, um, 
you know, had such severe issues with constipation. Um, and this was when I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, but it was, it was probably symptoms of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, and probably a little bit of SIBO probably thrown in there, but I'll, I'll never know cause I never was tested for it. Um, but uh, you know, I had such severe constipation that I was, um, uh, had to spend a night in the emergency room for it. Like at one point, uh, in the same, I think I might've been 23 when that happened, but it was like the same time my skin was a, a mess. Um, I was having debilitating migraines. Um, I was suffering a lot of joint pains, which I was blaming on the running, but it, it was probably the, my fibromyalgia symptoms starting. Um, and it was actually, you know, not long after after that, that I had a, a major health crisis where I had um, adult onset asthma so severely I was coughing up blood and I was put on extremely high doses of steroids and was, you know, apartment bound for three months and gained back, um, gained back 50 pounds in the first six weeks and another 80 pounds in the, in the rest of that year. So like right 24 is like right that time where I was super stressed um, driving myself into the ground with this ridiculous endurance training, um, not eating well. Uh, you know, this was where I went from like low carb to carb loading. Like it was this really weird, um, a combination of those two different approaches. Like I would literally go from one to the other. Um, and it was not, you know, I had, I had no sense of nutrient density or, or gluten-free or dairy-free or anything like that at this, at this point in my life. And, um, and probably the combination, right? That's the stress of a low carb diet, the stress of going from low carb to high carb, like that's brutal because a, a very low carb diet will actually make you a little bit insulin resistant. So you go, if you go that type of swing, um, right, it's, it's the, one of the worst things that you can do is, um, be low carb most of the time. And that's what I was doing. Um, and then marathon training and then, um, you know, extremely, extremely stressful, you know, graduate program that I was in. Um, you know, all of those things were, they were all there and all the warning signs were there. And I was just ignoring them because I had this such simplistic view of health. And I just felt like because I could wear size six jeans and run (laughs) 18 miles on Sunday, that clearly that meant that I was healthy and, and I really wasn't. So I, I just would want to just slap myself upside the head and make myself take a really critical look at, um, at my health. And, and, you know, that was, that was one of the most important things for me in my health journey was to look at health as being more complicated than whether or not I have a normal BMI. And, uh, and I really wish that that was something that I had started thinking more critically about earlier. So that that's, yeah, I would, boy, I, I would like shake myself. <laughs> Don't you see what you're doing to yourself? Cause when I did have that health crisis, um, a year later, it took me, um, I mean, I was on steroids for seven years or something like that afterwards. Like I was on tons and tons of medications, um, up, pretty much up until paleo. And, um, that was, you know, I, I really did drive myself into the ground, um, in, in every way all at the same time. So yeah, 24, 24, I thought I had it all. I thought I thought I had it all together and I so didn't. I think we all think we. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's true. Yeah. We are invincible at 24. Well, all right, see, what's next? 24, you can look back to 16. And when mm-hmm. at 16, you thought you were an, an adult and you thought you knew everything. And at 24, you can look back to 16 and be like, ah, I totally didn't know what I what I was doing. But now I do, right? Is that feeling? And then the older you get, you realize that no, no, you, you never actually have it all together. <laughs> All right. Our next question is from Hannah. What are your techniques for reducing stress? Uh, skin to skin contact. I love snuggling. Um, cats, lizard, kids, husband. Um, Random strangers. No, I don't like touching strangers at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like them touching me. That does not relieve uh, any stress at all. Um, 
drinking a warm cup of tea in the evenings is really relaxing and a de-stressing for me. I like to do a self-care routine, like, you know, I'll elongate my skincare and do a face mask or um, do a bath with a bath bomb or something like that. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that. These are all the non-food things. I've worked really hard over the years that when I'm feeling emotional, whether that's happy or sad to try to disassociate food from those feelings. It's not to say that we don't celebrate with food and that kind of things, but I've had to actively disengage food from emotions because after a lifetime of disordered eating and emotional eating and all that kind of stuff, um, it's just really critical for me to, to disassociate food from emotions. So for me, um, the number one thing I do for keeping my stress under control is actually think about sleep. So part of that is having a non-negotiable bedtime. Um, I have my like ideal time that I aim for and then I have my non-negotiable time. So I do have a range. Uh, so, you know, ideally I like to be in bed by like 9.30, but 10.30 is my non-negotiable time. Um, so I, anyway, I definitely have that range. Um, but I also really make sure like it's not just the routine, but I really make sure that I spend a little bit of time outside or if I um, have a lot of work to do, I have a light therapy box on my desk. So I work with my light therapy box on. So I'm getting that bright light exposure during the day. And then I make sure to have my amber glasses on in the evening or work in a dim environment with, you know, flux on my computer screen so that I'm getting that dim light in the evening. So I really think about what I can do during the day that will protect my sleep. Like one of those is not snacking in the evening. Um, that that's like a surefire way to, to wreck my sleep. Um, also apparently watching game of Thrones also really terrible for my sleep. Yeah. Really, really not good at all for stress reduction. Last night I had a terrible time going to sleep. (laughs) I had the worst sleep last night. Uh, yeah. So, um, so that's, I mean, fortunately there's like one more week of that. So that's, that's one bad choice, I guess, for stress. Um, the other flip of side of it is really prioritizing movement. Um, so I work out, um, at a local CrossFit gym four times a week. And then I also, um, the type of work that I'm doing right now with the book is kind of hard to do at a treadmill desk. Um, so there's certain things that I do that's really easy to do at walking at a treadmill desk. And there's certain things that I do that the, the movement's really distracting and I really need to be still. Um, so what I try to do now is, is when I take that break to, uh, do some social media or or check my email or do something else. I try to make sure that I'm I'm walking during that time so that I'm trying to get at least one hour of walking during the day in and it's usually broken up, even though the type of work I'm doing right now is not really conducive to um that that's sort of my preferred way to to, to work is to to walk the whole time and, and right now it's it's not that easy. Um but movement throughout the day is is really really helpful. And then for me when I'm I'm really just when I'm really feeling stressed there's there's um two flip sides. So one is trying to seek out laughter. So whether that is um you know spending time with my kids. My kids are goofballs, so they always make me laugh. Um so I really try to have quality time with them every single day. Um but sometimes it's being with friends that make me laugh, um, hobbies that involve laughter, right? So like it's finding, finding laughter in my life is really important. And then finding stillness in my life is really important. So sometimes it's, um, doing some stretches before bed with some meditation music. Um, I really like like old school Stephen Helpburn Theta Wave music. find that just really calming. Um, so, you know, and stretching is just, uh, to me is, is it's recovery from physical activity, but it's also, 
I think there's something about the moving um, lymph around the lymphatic system that can be it, it can help actually reduce inflammation. So I think that's one of the reasons why stretching for me uh, feels so good. Like it's it's just something that's that's it it really just hits all the right buttons. So I kind of find those two not together, but like stillness and and laughter in my day and I try to to fit those in at some point every single day awesome what's next uh, we're not really uh, rapid firing we gotta, we gotta nah, pick it's, it up. it's faster than our normal question <laughs> answering pace because given that we normally do like one question That's per episode true. we're doing awesome right now all right this question is from philip um, what are your go-to fast paleo breakfast options? Scrambled eggs. And honestly, they've been my like evening snack if I want something lately too. I've just been really enjoying super slow cooked. Like you would think that they were still runny, but they're not actually uh, scrambled eggs. Uh, Hard boiled eggs. I've actually been doing um, yogurt with chia seeds and blueberries. Um, If you can tolerate milk um, and find a low sugar, high quality yogurt, um, I get some from a local farm that's really awesome. And there's also so many great brands um, available in most stores these days, organic grass fed. Um, Let's see what else. Jerky. I always keep jerky in my bags, RX bars. Those are our kind of go-to's emergency snack foods. We don't think of breakfast as needing to be necessarily um, eggs or cereal or yogurt kind of things. But um, if you're looking for something more traditional, those are our our go-to's. So I um, tend to make homemade sausage patties and I usually make five or six pounds of sausage at a time. So that makes you know, like two full baking sheets full of sausage patties. So I typically make like four ounce sausage patties and then I freeze them. So I just, I just, it's basically throw some spices into some ground pork or, or a mix of ground pork and some other ground meat. Um, I form them into patties. I just bake them and then, um, and then I freeze them on the cookie sheet in a single layer. And then I remove them from the cookie sheet and put them in a, in a freezer bag for longer term storage. And then they, reheat, uh, super quickly. Um, and I, my go-to has sort of been, if I can, if I actually have enough time to eat at home, uh, is a sausage patty and some sauerkraut with a little, with a piece of fruit. Um, so that's been my, my go-to lately. Um, and I've got quite a few sausage recipes in the Paleo Approach cookbook and some more coming in Paleo Principles um, with instructions on how to make them as patties um, and recipes on my site too. Um, so, but if I don't have time for like, if it's pre-made, it's, I mean, it's like two minutes to get it onto my plate, but if I don't have time to like sit at the table, if I'm running out the door, then my go-to is a collagen veggie blend Um usually just mixed with water. I, I, I sort of go through phases where I prefer it in a smoothie and phases where I prefer it with water. But if I'm running at the door, I usually just throw it in a shaker bottle with some water and an Epic bar. Um, so my favorite Epic bar flavor is the uh, beef apple bacon flavor. And um, that's, you know, an easy thing to like drink and eat while I'm driving if I'm racing to, to something and I don't have time to actually eat at home. Um my kids' go-tos are sausage patties, um, but also hard-boiled eggs. So that's been one of these things that they've recently discovered actually are yummy, and they eat hard-boiled eggs like they're going out of style. And then again, I, when I make I make a huge batch of um, my paleo waffles on the weekends. Usually, I make a double or triple batch, and then I'm going to freeze them, and so that becomes at like the sort of starch at breakfast for my kids most mornings and then they also get fruit. So that's, that's their typical go-to as well. I would say if you're looking for something to pre-make soup, simple mills muffins or your own paleo muffins, um, like a paleo version of banana bread and Sarah and I each have our own recipes. Um, different things like that can be really helpful to have around to grab if you're still 
something like egg muffins. I know yeah. we both have egg muffin recipes on our site because that's sort of like a like I think of them frittatas. as like a mini frittatas. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, and you can wrap those in, you know, like bacon or ham, like a cup, or they can just be, you know, egg muffins to go. But I think, you know, the, the key that I would say to anybody is think about what your favorite foods are and then what's portable. And it can really be anything like trail mix is one of Wesley's favorite foods. He'll eat it anytime. And somebody else might think trail mix isn't a breakfast food, but to him, like he gets so excited at the idea of putting in a handful of cranberries or raisins um, that he'll, you know, have a, a really nutrient, I mean, not nutrient dense, but energy dense food source that then is, you know, easier for us to kind of go versus I know a lot of more traditional pre paleo breakfast on the go type stuff is um, really carb heavy and doesn't have protein and fat. So just try to think through what your favorites are that would be a balanced energy dense food. Um, And for me, I can't do high fat, but I know a lot of people do well with higher fat breakfast and um that helps with with energy sustaining throughout the day fat and protein protein for breakfast so for me it's all i I always start with the protein like where's the where is the protein and then try and round it out with ideally some vegetables but if not vegetables then some fruit like that's it's actually how i think of all meals is like where's the protein okay now where's all the vegetables and then maybe some fruit and with breakfast sometimes it's not vegetables and sometimes it is um but I, I think there's a there is a really large collection of portable proteins now available to the paleo community, and that I think makes eating on the go a lot easier. There's so many different options of meat bars and meat sticks and gelatin based um, protein products, and you know I, th- I think that's compared to five years ago when there was uh, what was there. Five years ago, Steve's Paleo Goods was probably probably existed, and that was probably it. Yeah, because even the Primal Kitchen bars and stuff like that weren't around yet. Um, Lara bars, Lara bars have always been around as long as I've been Paleo. But um, all right, we killed that. What's next? All right, what is your recommendation for a good Paleo friendly deodorant? <laughs> so I'm kind of become known for being picky about deodorant. I have super, super, super sensitive skin. Um, and I have tried every natural, and I'm using quotation marks, um, <laughs> deodorant out there for a while, for a couple of years. I really liked um, a brand that you could get at Sephora, but um, that stopped. It was aluminum free. Uh, it wasn't you know, supernatural, but it was at least aluminum free. And then it stopped working for me. It started making my armpits break out. And so I don't know if they changed the formula or if I just became resistant to it. And ever since then, I've been on the quest for new deodorant. Um, so I've had every paleo friendly brand send me deodorants and all of them have something in them that irritates my skin, whether it's baking soda or coconut oil, um, both of those things irritate my skin. So if anything, any deodorant has either of those ingredients, which most of them have both, then it won't work. So the one that I found that works the best for me right now is available at um, One Stop Paleo Shop. It's the EM Apothecary brand, and it's a charcoal-based deodorant that has neither coconut oil or baking soda. Um, it works it works really well uh before the summertime i will say that like on the days that i work out in the summer i still use um dove brand deodorant because my armpits just require it and i'm actually working with that brand to see if we can't come up with a um different essential oil blend to make a secondary that might be a little more pleasant. The great thing about the charcoal is that it's gender neutral um, and that like boys and girls can use it. 
the downside is it really does feel very au naturel to me. And I don't like that feeling um, in the office and meetings and that kind of stuff. So um, the idea of having a different scent is very appealing to me. And they are, they've been working on trying to come up with some stuff. Um, We've been working on it for a couple of months. So hopefully eventually I can like, hold up a stick of deodorant in the air and make like noises and say like, this is it. Um, but until that happens, I'm, I'm sadly the girl. I literally have something like, I don't know, 20, 25 things of deodorant. (laughs) I, we packed them all up in a box when we moved, because when I finally find the deodorant, I want to like take a picture of all the ones that didn't work. And, um, and then the one that does work. And so in the meantime, I just keep accumulating more and more and more that don't work for me. So I have the same issue that the baking soda, so I'm fine with the coconut oil, but the baking soda based, um, deodorants, uh, give me a rash in my armpit. And even the like low baking soda ones for sensitive skin, I can wear them for like one day, but if I wear them two days in a row, then I'll get a rash. So I save those for like special occasions when I really, really, really want to make sure that I smell okay. Um, so, but my daily deodorant is called Zach deodorant and you can get it off Amazon. You can put a link in the show notes. Um, and they have, you have to be careful because they have a series that has baking soda and then they have a series that doesn't. Um, and I use the one that doesn't, they come in three cents, one that's very clearly girly, one that's very clearly manly, and one that's sort of neutral and in between. So I think it's the green one's the girly one, the blue one's the manly one, and the red one is the in-between one. Um, and I I sort of alternate between girly and in-between depending on, I don't know, how feminine I feel in the morning or I don't know. It's random. Um, but that one works really well for me. I really like the scent. It's, um, it has like aloe and stuff in it. So it's actually, um, very moisturizing. So I've, I've never had an issue and I've been using it for, let's say at least a year. I'd have to actually go back to when I initially reviewed it to figure out exactly how long I've been using it for, but it's been quite a while. Um, and the only issue with it is like on a day, like if you are a sweaty person. So for me, that's like, four or five months of the year in Atlanta, um, I need a second application midday. So, and I think this is fairly common with a lot of the more natural deodorants that cater to the paleo community is they don't have the same lifespan as the chemical laden ones that we're used to. So I will sometimes reapply again in the afternoon. And then if I was going to go out in the evening, I would like reapply a third time. Um, and as long as I'm sort of on top, like if I can, if I reapply before my armpits start to smell, it works great. If my armpits start to smell, reapplying doesn't mask it very well. So like then I would have to take a like washcloth and like wash my armpits and then reapply. So staying on top of it is one of the the keys to getting the most out of that one. But it's um, very it's you know completely chemical free and it's on all natural ingredients and it's it's the baking soda free version of Zach. Um, I find is is really, really nice on my skin, given how, how sensitive my skin is. I can't remember if it has coconut oil in it, though. It doesn't work for me. I remember we had this conversation before. I got super mm. excited, and I tried all three and had major problems. So, uh, But I am like a case study on sensitive skin. <laughs> like if you- which is good for our audience. Because, yep. I mean, it means they're like, oh, excellent. Um, in terms of like if you if the baking soda doesn't irritate your armpits, the baking soda-based – um, oh, there's paleo so many. deodorants. There's so many options. Um, and it's basically you know, which one has a scent that you like the best. Um, and they, they work really well. But uh, there are it's, you know, it's more common than not to, to have people get irritation from the baking soda. Sadly. All right. Here's a question from Trina. How do you ladies come up with your recipes? <laughs> so I haven't been coming up with many recipes. <laughs> I think I kind of hit a wall at like 2000 and was like, I think I've made everything. No, I mean, the fact is we, we make stuff. Obviously, we just don't write it down and take pictures and blog it much anymore. Um, I think what originally started recipes for me was clearly, you know, I have a family who 
we love to cook and we love to eat. And there were so many recipes in our family that were difficult to just give up entirely. And so it was a matter of like literal experimentation to just find um, things that could replace what I'd come to love and miss about, you know, family history and and that kind of thing. Um, I started recipe development by following other people's recipes and then being like, well, but I want it this way and tweaking a little bit and and learning how to use different ingredients and flavors that way. Um, I know Matt and I both co-develop recipes. I, a lot of people ask how we do it, do it. So I usually am the concept person. I come up with the idea of, hey, um, I want to make breadsticks out of cauliflower. And he'll look at me like I have a third head. Um, And then we'll start brainstorming, you know, what do I mean by that? And how, you know, how can he go about achieving it? And we play with different doughs. And then um, eventually we come up with something that works. Um, And I think for the purpose of, you know, what, what happened with recipe development with me is I really felt like we'd contributed what we could. And there were so many amazing recipes from so many bloggers and cookbook authors in the community that we were kind of like, I mean, what else could we possibly have to offer? Um, And we constantly go back to the recipes that we use or, you know, that we created previously and we reuse them. Like just tonight we had um, our meatloaf recipe, which is, you know, very, very popular in the community. I've seen a lot of people since then start to incorporate vegetables into meatloaf um, instead of breadcrumbs and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I think I I don't know that there's necessarily um, so much method to our madness as there is like, hey, I really want X, Y, or Z, let's make it happen. And then just we play around and we have fun, um, usually as a family, brainstorming and and coming up with ways that we think we might achieve it. And honestly, Sarah and I can both tell you a lot of times you don't achieve it and it's a complete failure. And, you know, it can take a dozen times before you get something right. And by then you don't even want the thing anymore. Like you're just over it and frustrated. I literally have recipes that I've been tinkering with for years because I don't quite get it right. And, but I'm like so over it. And then I just have all my notes. I have, I've, uh, multiple notebooks, I have volumes of them, of my recipes. And then when I feel like, oh, that's something I want to go back to, then I'll go back to what did I do last time? And what were my notes? And okay, well, I'll pick up from where I left off. Um, I I get inspiration for recipes um, in all kinds of places. So sometimes it's, you know, family recipes, um, you know, things that, that I remember as a kid that I want to recreate. Sometimes it's um, a meal, a really delicious meal I had in a restaurant. Um, sometimes it's um, I bought a, I bought a weird ingredient and I just start Googling what are things that you make with this ingredient. And I find, you know, uh, what's what's the classic, you know, something that that I can now like look at that and go, OK, well, how can I adapt that for um, paleo ingredients. And, um, I'll often, I'll spend a lot of time looking through, you know, especially if I'm going to do, try and recreate something that's really classic. I'll look through a lot of classic recipes and so try to really understand the chemistry. So I, I still keep all my old cookbooks, um, and I'll flip through them and I'll, I'll sort of go, okay, so, you know, what is, you know, the, the, the butter doing in in this recipe? Is it acting as a binder? Is it just a flavor? Is it adding lightness because it's creamed and trying to understand the chemistry so that I can think about um, how do I, how do I recreate that chemistry with paleo ingredients? And then I actually map out. So I'll actually write down what my plan is. Um, You know, I'm going to use this much of this ingredient, this much of this ingredient. Um, I'll, I'll write it out but then as I go, I'll be continuously adapting. So it's very much a instinct look and feel, uh, tasting as you go, if it's something that won't, you know, <laughs> make you sick if you taste it before it's cooked. Um, and then I will like scratch out like, oh, I ended up using three quarters of a cup of this instead of half a cup. So I'll scratch out and then I'll get to the point at the end. And if it's a result that I like, then I will make it 
usually at least one more time, if not two more times and refine. Um, if it's something that I don't like, then I go back to, okay, well, so why, why didn't this work? And I mean, some things are abysmal failures when I was, uh, working on, you know, it was back before Otto's cassava flour and I'm sure it would be different now, but working on my first recipes for AIP desserts, um, I created this one, like apple spice cake. And it turned out to be the recipe that's in the Pale Approach cookbook that's that's really delicious that uses plantain flour. But in my iterations for that, I was trying to get away with more accessible flours like tapioca starch and arrowroot starch. And there was one iteration where it like was perfectly browned on the outside. And then you cut into it and it was this like stringy, snotty goo. And it was like the most it was the complete antithesis of cake. And so then my entire family had this joke of like, it's not cake. It's not cake. Right. Cause get it, get it. It's not cake. Cause it my was boys just, would have laughed. Yeah. right. Um, and that, that actual, that, that cake still like from what, four years ago, <laughs> it's still a story in my household about how the snot cake. Remember the snot cake? It's not cake. Um, but yeah, so that definitely, definitely there's failures. I would say um, savory recipes I can usually hammer down in fewer iterations and then baked goods can take 12, 15, like 20 times to perfect before I feel like it's, um, you know, good enough and, and um, not to, I like consistent enough, right? Like I know this is going to work for, 99.9% of people who are trying it and it takes a while before a wet recipe is at that point where I feel like it's ready to post, which is why, um, you know, I really only post a couple of new recipes a month now. And in part, it's because there's such a tremendous collection already on my website and in my books. And the other reason is, um, you know, it was, it was, I'm, you know, I'm getting to the point now where like the basics are already covered. So I'm getting more inventive. The, the other place where, um, sometimes really neat recipes come out of is uh, Friday evening at the end of the week when I'm out of almost everything and I open the fridge and see what's left and go, huh, I guess I'll throw all of that into a pot. And so, you know, I've actually got a recipe coming uh, whenever I get a chance to get the photograph uploaded and everything typed up. Um, so next week or the week after, hopefully, but I've got a recipe coming that was exactly that situation of, hmm, this is starting to go bad. I, I need to use this. I'm just going to throw it in this pan. And then it was like, oh, that was a genius idea. Why didn't I ever think about that before? So sometimes things kind of just magically come together. But for me, most of it is uh, inspiration and then careful planning and then prolonged experimentation. So the only other thing I'd add to that is, you know, you talked about if you find a certain ingredient, I, I would say specifically when you're cookbook writing, it's a lot about balance. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about meal planning on here, but it's about making sure that when you look overall, there's, you know, green, there's enough green things that you're touching all seasons. Um, in the case of Beyond Bacon, it was writing down every single cut of meat and, um, making sure that we had a recipe for all of them. Um, in real life paleo, we were really focused on making sure that there was at least an 80, 20 balance on, you know, nutrient dense foods versus treat type options. And so it's, it's kind of like a map and a math equation, um, just as much as it is, um, creativity. So I think it's really kind of an interesting thing with recipe writing is it's a lot of science. It's a lot of logic. It's, it's a lot of math. Um, Sarah talked about, you know, what a lot of recipe writers do is, you know, when you're when you're looking to create a recipe, especially like a paleo recipe, you go and you look at, you know, five or six different types of recipes of that same thing. And how is it made? What's the chemistry? What are the types of ingredients? And then how do I want to replicate that? And I know, you know, for me, especially when you're doing nut free or egg free or different things like that, it really plays into that chemistry as well and, and breaking it down. So I think it's all, um, it's all a balance fig figuring it out, um, from the, 
from the inside out as much as it is flavor. And then someone like Russ Crandall from uh, The Domestic Man. Slash recipe creation genius. Recipe creation genius, for sure. Um, And good friend of ours. (laughs) Um, Is really good at going back and looking at how, you know, the origins of a food or the ancestral history behind a food and making sure to give homage to that uh, traditional cooking method. So, um, but updating it in a, in a modern way in some sort of capacity or just bringing it new life. So I think it really, and that's why you see so many different types of recipes and why you've probably prefer, you know, like, half a dozen to a dozen blogs or cookbook authors over others because their inspiration, their palette, their approach mirrors, you know, your, your Mm. own. And so I think that's why, you know, it's an art definitely, but it's also a science and it makes a, it takes a, a special kind of person to be able to really, especially with baking and baking with non-traditional ingredients to be able to, to craft that. And, uh, there are some that are better, better than others. I mean, some things that like Daniel Walker does from against all grain. I'm like, how did she do that? Like, what am I eating? Uh, <laughs> and you know, other times I-, I try recipes from, you know, other people's blogs or cookbooks and I'll be like, well, you know what? Like I know how to cook. I, I know that I know how to cook and I just followed this recipe and it didn't turn out. Um, so it's, it's really just about, you know, what preferences and what you lean towards and that kind of thing. I think it's a, an interesting question that could probably be its, its own episode. Well, I like that you brought up uh, recipe creation for cookbooks. Cause for me, it's a, it's a little bit different than recipe creation for a website in part because of the balance that you mentioned, but also there's a certain type of recipe that gets people really excited in an online community Um, And I don't just mean treat recipes, but, you know, it's the things that are really innovative. Often it's the more complex recipes, right? The ones that that take a little bit more time, that have more steps, have more ingredients because they create something really super sophisticated. Those are the ones that, um, you know, I see get the highest traffic on my website. Whereas in a cookbook, um, I I think a lot more about – uh, the, sort of the balance and nutrient density that you already mentioned, but also simplicity. So I'm thinking a lot more about like, what's the, you know, 20 minute weekday meal. And those are sometimes recipes that they're a little bit more simple. They're still full of flavor. They're still wonderful, but they're recipes that, um, aren't, you know, they're, they're very, very useful in a cookbook, especially for somebody who is learning about paleo, trying to figure out how to do this. Those are the recipes that make, um, you know, can make paleo doable, right? They can make it fit into our lives to have those types of recipes when you take 20 minutes to throw something together and at the end it tastes really good. Like that's that's the type of recipe that can make all the difference for somebody who's trying to figure out how to eat better. Um, but those are also tend to be the recipes that if I were to put up a recipe like that on my website, depending on what it is, of course, but those are the recipes that people are like, eh, you know, and it's it's a sort of a different thing. So I, I I will often have recipes that I literally save up for the next book because I know that they're you know they're they're just people are not going to find them very exciting online. And then I have usually the ones that are really exciting online will also make it into the book. Like they'll those will go in both places. Um, but I think you know the the what people are looking for out of a recipe from a website is often very different from what somebody needs out of a cookbook. And I try to, to, um, I try to, to think about that as I'm recipe creating for a cookbook. It's a little bit, um, I feel like it's a little bit more practical focused as opposed to inspiration focused. Does that make sense? Yep. Totally the case. So we've got some more questions, but maybe I'm kind of thinking we should maybe save them for like a part two AMA for next week. What do you think? that's a good plan like you said we have answered more than usual but more than usual not uh, not really um i believe what, we, what one would think to be a, a rapid uh, a rapid fire type episode it, we called it we called it ask us anything it's a little bit different we didn't did we promise rapid fire I, I might have said any promises i might have said i might have said those words at the beginning matt knows matt knows if i said them <laughs> 
Uh, if I did, I just meant more than usual, at which we totally accomplished. Totally. <laughs> so well, it sounds just... like we, we have some more questions to answer. We'll be back next week to do that for sure. Um, and if there are questions that you wish you could know from us, um, feel free to you know reach out via social media or the blogs or comment on the posts um, where we publish the podcasts and we do save those and, and sort through them and, and try to get to them. Um, but we always appreciate hearing from you. Yeah, always. Um, and you know, we always use your questions to frame the discussions for, for every episode. So, um, the more questions we get, the more interesting episodes we're going to have. So really our ability to continue and have something worthwhile to say is kind of dependent on your questions. I'm just no pressure, but just a little bit, a little bit dependent. So um, we also have submission forms on both of our sites um, for questions. If you want to um, send those to us uh, anonymously. So if you don't want to post your question on a, on a public forum, um, and you can always request that your name not be used in an episode. We definitely do that from time to time. So, um, there's, there's that as a, as a way to send us your questions as well. Well, thank you for tuning in. And for those of you sending your, your children back to school last week or this coming week, good luck to you. Lots of rest, <laughs> have patience. Things are, are tough as you go through that transition of change, but, Sarah and I both have tons of resources um, on on how to survive. We have podcasts previously on, you know, packing lunches or easy weeknight meals, prepping ahead of time, that kind of stuff. Um, and we even have a book, Paleo to Go. It's an, an ebook on our blog. So we hope that you are surviving for those of you, unlike Sarah, who are just starting school last week or, or next week. My kids start I know. next week. So. It feels like my kids went back, what, three weeks ago? It feels like we are so in the groove now. It's like not even. See, we. it's good to hear that positivity for those of us that I'm having kind of a nightmarish week this week as we wake Cole up an hour earlier every single day um, to get him prepared for uh, being up pretty much before the sun rises in order to get ready for middle school. So it's, it's quite a change for us and, uh, we'll, we'll get through it and we'll get into a groove, I'm sure. But in the meantime, it's kind of like, I'm going to come out with a lot less hair and time to be grayer. <laughs> uh, in three more, in three weeks, you'll be saying the same thing. Like it feels like we've been doing this forever and it's fine. It's fine. Um, I actually, my kids are, my kids love routine. Like they really thrive in that environment and they both love their teachers and are having a really good year so far. So it's, um, it's actually, I, I feel like life is easier with school. Like everybody just does really well with this super predictability of, of what our day's structure is like, uh, including me. I mean, they, they, <laughs> my kids get that from somewhere. Um, and so we, we really sort of thrive in this environment. So we're, we're, we're happy. So maybe eventually we will also get into routine. Um, I know Cole is already counting down the days to not be in middle school because evidently high school, um, he will go in later than he does in middle school. And he finds this to be quite upsetting news that he has recently found out, but, um, with a routine, everything will be all right. And for those of you that do or do not have kids wish you, um, you know, a great, uh, end of summer. I fall is my favorite season. So I'm super excited for boots and, um, apples and all things wonderful. So crunchy leaves, crunchy leaves. Crunchy, crunchy uh, I said nothing about pumpkin because I don't want to be cliche, but I do legitimately like actual pumpkins, not pumpkin spice, everything. So I'm excited. Um, it's getting cooler in the evenings here. Fall is definitely going to be arriving soon. So maybe we'll, after we do this AMA, we'll come up with some seasonal something or other because I'm feeling the season changes. So uh, perhaps it's the, it's the woods that I have in my backyard. I'm looking forward to them changing. So Oh, yeah. They'll be so pretty. Right. 
I'm excited to see what it's going to look like here at the new house in uh, fall and winter. You know, it's like a, it's like literally discovering <laughs> something <laughs> new. So, all right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll be back again next week, as always. And I would have said the number there, but I have no idea what it is. We'll be back next week for episode 262 because this is episode 261. I, I'm really. I'm saying this very confidently. Exactly. I'm really curious to know how correct you are because I'll be super impressed if you're right. And I will laugh super hard if Matt's like shaking his head um, because that's what he would do. Matt can edit in maniacal laughter if I'm wrong. (laughs) Totally. Um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.